you and magnify you, Lord. You're worthy to be praised and adored. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Bless you. Honor you. Loved you. And we thank you, Father, for this day. You've made it for us to rejoice and be glad in. You have not made this day for us to be discouraged, upset, angry, discouraged, uh, um, or uh, defeated in any way. But you've given us victory in our hearts, hope, expectation in our hearts for good things to come. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Sometimes you can't say amen enough, you know, just don't get tired of saying it. So praise God. So today we're going to uh, talk about David's episode of chasing donkeys. You know, the the ones that God uses and, and uh, uses, you know, God will use everybody mightily. But, but there is a foundation, I think, that must be laid in our lives if we're going to have the kind of success that God wants us to have. I think we can uh, truthfully say that God sees no difference in us at the beginning. He sees great potential in each and every one of us. But I think where that that potential gets uh, lived out and whether it gets acted out and whether we uh, do God's will and get the benefit of what he has planned and, and are successful in, in our calling and what he's given us to do will depend on certain foundations being laid. And I think once you, you uh, get that foundation laid and get it laid the way God wants it laid, then he can build on that. But I think there are, are very, very many people building on a man-made foundation. They're building on a partial foundation uh, where they should have dug out a little deeper. Uh, they dug in a superficial manner and are trying to build on that superficial thing and it just doesn't work for them. Uh, it won't work in God's kingdom. And But we'll see the benefit benefit of a well-laid foundation um, because we we tend to forget that basements don't sell houses you know what i'm saying <laughs> it's it's a stuff above and so if we're if we're laying a good foundation uh, then we can know that what rests on top of it the visible things will stay and they'll be of high quality. And so it's, it's not good to skimp on the foundation, even though that's not what people look at, but it's extremely important, uh, for us to know that that's the, the quality that God wants put in a, a person's life is put in there in the grooming stages. One of the good things about God is that if he really values you and has something he wants you to do with your life, he won't let you skimp on the necessities. He'll put you right back in there to to firm that up because he knows that it won't hold, you know, what he's given us to carry many times. And so that that crumbling, those cracks in the foundation will eventually have to be solidified and shored up if we're going to carry everything God wants us to carry. And so we'll find that in the lives of these individuals. There are things that You'll see all of them do, uh, except for Jesus. That'll be the last person I think we'll examine. But you'll see uh, uh, 
problems that they incurred but you see God will come in and help those problems you're not just a, a tear down because your foundation was a little shaky but he will build on what he can build on and, and get that uh, foundation solidified as far as he can get it solidified so it's very very important <clears throat> what we do foundation wise and how we strengthen ourselves and, and the things that we uh, put into our lives as a matter of um, as a matter of routine and a matter of habit. God wants us to have routine, habitual ways of dealing with things that are good, that are solid, that are word-based, so that once he sees that we do these things continually, then he can trust us and start to add more to it. But if they're not in there on a continual basis, he won't be able to trust us uh, in these things. They'll become a snare to us. So we explained uh, chasing donkeys as the routine everyday things that people think are boring and people think don't matter and it's easy to say if we don't do it this way this time what harm could it do and so it's that way of thinking that God wants to correct because if we do it with the routine simple things it's like when do you stop taking away from your your uh your life um, and taking back your life from God and doing things you want to do instead of continuing with God and continuing doing the things that he approves of. And so once you start robbing God or taking away from him the things that you have one, at one time committed to him, uh, there's no stopping that. And so it gets to be a teardown kind of life because we continue to take from God that which we have already given to him. We see that in the life of Saul. He, he was disciplined in his father's house. And this is a good thing because a good routine, a good discipline will, will breed, will breed a good foundation for a solid life. And a solid life is what we all want. We want the results of a solid life. Like everybody wants a good family, want a nice house. They want a nice car to drive in, a dependable car, something that, that looks good and is fun to drive or whatever it is. We want good things. and But we have to be willing to be good people in order to draw good things to us. People tend to operate at the level that they attract. And so many times we'll attract individuals, we'll attract uh, situations uh, according to what we desire and according to, to how we live and what's in our heart. And so we have to uh, understand that God wants to draw things into our life that are going to help build our life, not be a liability and not make us a teardown because we continue to be around teardown kind of people. I think, you know, sometimes people, you know, I see a lot of uh, people uh, on Facebook talking about, uh, you know, certain people don't deserve to be around you and this kind of thing. And, you know, you wouldn't have to tell people that. If they would carry themselves in such a way they didn't attract. <laughs> but you know we can carry ourselves right when we're around the saints of God. And then get raggedy when we get around. You know get out of the uh, the vision of the church and church people etc. etc. And eventually enough of those people attracted to you will begin to eat away at your foundation. 
And so we have to be very careful um, to allow God to choose our activities, choose our friends, uh, set standards in our relationships. Um, Not that we want to be standoffish people. We can be friendly people. Uh, We can be a friend to sinners. We can be a friend, but that doesn't mean take them home with you and live at their level. Jesus never took anybody home with him to live at their level. You got me? When he interacted with people, he always elevated them. He always brought them out of sin and out of uh, uh, the effects of sin, like sickness, poverty, death, all of that stuff. He was consistent across the board. He wasn't, he didn't have to compromise in order to get people to like him. He wasn't here to be liked. He was here to obey the Father. And so this is what we, we have to to understand. God will make you likable to people though. You know, he will do that because that's one way we can if we show ourselves friendly, if we show ourselves open and loving and kind and, and all and thoughtful, that kind of thing, God will make sure that that's rewarded and that people will respond to us appropriately. So you have to have an open door to share Christ with people, but you 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 can't you can't have any of you invested in it. I guess what I'm saying, your flesh, your desires, you can't want to extract things from these relationships. You just have to let God develop them, and you get the reward of God out of all your relationships, and that's very important. So that's a discipline that uh, God has His people under. He has all of us under that discipline that we stay close to the Father, we obey the Father, we obey the authority figures in our lives. And so we'll see that's one thing that's consistent about all of our subjects that we're studying here is that they had the habit of being obedient to the authority over them. That that just was the way they they lived their lived their lives out. Um, they had the ability, some of them, to discern and to be wise in choosing relationships, things to do, ways to go, all of that. And so there are are skills built upon that foundation that uh, it's important to note. When we looked at Saul, he was obedient to his dad and he was also subject to the servant that his father had in his presence. He, he had an ability to extract from people around him good ideas and, and counsel and the right way to go. And so those things are very important. You, you'll never be able to do it all and you'll have to learn how to depend on people that keep the right kind of people around you who can help you to go forward and what God wants you to do. The other thing we saw about Saul is that he had this kind of a, um, I guess you could call a humility and that he didn't feel that he was the one to be chosen to be king. And sometimes that humility will keep you obedient to the authority that is over you. Now we know that somehow Saul had some cracks in his foundation because when it came to obeying God as king, he veered off course and he never got himself back again and so these are things that we have to be aware of that that just because God anoints you to do something that doesn't mean you're going to stay in that forever it's it's incumbent upon you to continue to obey God in order to keep the anointing that he's placed uh, upon you and so these things are very very important uh, when we uh, talked about um, who was the last one we did Elisha. 
Elisha, yeah. Elisha, we know, had this thing about him that once he made a decision to do something, he stuck with it to the death. He was a tenacious kind of person. And so that tenacity was something that took him to the the uh, place of anointing and then getting greater than the man of God who was over him. So he was good at at sticking with hard things Uh, we saw that because he had a team not just a team of yoked oxen but there were like a dozen of them dozen uh, teams of two oxen that pulled the plow so he must have been able to do great things physically he was in good physical shape because of that discipline in which he carried himself and that tenacity carried him over into a double portion of the spirit that the man of God had over him so he was doing hard things in the natural when God found him and he was able to do that hard thing because it was much demanded of in the nation of Israel uh, in his time so uh, uh, the same amount of anointing that the previous minister had was not going to do for what God had him to do and so God looks around he finds somebody that he can use who has a good foundation that he can add to <clears throat> so then we come to David who we're going to study today in First Samuel 16 we see him appear uh, where God's anointing him to be king of Israel now Saul is still in the office of king God does not uh, this is a delicate thing that God has to do many times uh, in in the natural sense kings follow a birth order and a birthright so the sons of Saul would be in line to be king and that one would be Jonathan and so we see here there's going to be some conflict that comes about because if God is anointing David as king that means Jonathan somehow doesn't qualify and so God looks not at who he likes he doesn't look at the outer appearance he looks at the heart and he's always grooming people to take over he's always grooming people to go into leadership he's always grooming people and sometimes these people are not visible to us as in in the natural or not visible to us as natural people but he is always raising up somebody he's always working with somebody he's always teaching people uh, his word how to serve him how to be obedient how to serve men and women of God who are over them how to serve parents and wives and and families husbands and children he's teaching people and grooming people all the time in his ways and so as, as, as we walk in God's ways we keep ourselves in line for promotion that's just the the uh, the upshot of it and there's a reward for being obedient to God's ways and definitely a reward for that I don't care how many Christians you see living kind of a, a lax life and and you know seemingly prospering there's a benefit to living for God godliness with contentment is great gain great gain not just things of this life but it's great gain and so you want to go for the greater gain you don't want to be pulled off with uh, by 
these superficial people uh, who don't really know how to dig in deep and stay faithful and stay committed. You want to get in with people who really, really understand uh, how to serve God and how to stay faithful in God. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16... God begins now to rebuke the prophet Samuel. He's telling him, how long are you going to mourn for God, uh, for Saul, uh, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. So God's already had enough of Saul. It's amazing. God can be really through with people and you find people in the natural clinging to him. You know what I'm saying? He can really be done with somebody, but they can always get a following here in the earth. And so those are the people who are mourning for that individual. You don't want to be followed by a group of mourners because they'll take you right to your funeral. You got me? <laughs> so <laughs> there are people who keep looking at what they used to be able to do, what you used to, what you used to do, always looking back at your past, can't see your, your present or your future, and they don't want to let go. There were certain people that used to uh, follow William Branham like that, even after he was dead. They were looking for him to be raised from the dead and all this kind of stuff. So there are people who mourn for things, um, and even for, th- for servants of God long before they, they, it's appropriate for them. He says, well, I want you to get up and fill your horn with oil and go. I'm going to send you to somebody else that I've already chosen to be king. God knows the end at the beginning. So he knew when he had Saul anointed, he knew David was next and knew when David's day would come. He knew all of this from the beginning. But God has the ability to shroud his knowledge in darkness away from our darkened mind. So we can't pick up on what he has in mind unless he makes that available to us. And so God has the ability to deal with us as though Saul's the hottest thing and he's you know always going to be king and he's going to be wonderful. And so the prophet is going on the assumption that Saul is the man. You have to do that until God tells you something different or God disconnects you from somebody. You have to go under the assumption that they are the person that God has chosen and stay with that. So he says, I provided a king among his sons, among Jesse's sons. So I want you to go over there to Bethlehem and and talk to Jesse. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Now here Saul's already turned in his mind and he's now the enemy of God and the prophet knows that people sometimes are not aware of it but the prophet knows it he says if I go and anoint somebody and this man's still alive I know what's going to happen to me he's going to kill me and so and that probably would have been true about any king because they always see somebody else who's coming through as a threat you got me so this is how they defend their position anybody who looks able to challenge it they defend themselves against that individual and so he, God gives him a plan for how to do this secretly so nobody knows it. And so he says, uh, I'll and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do and you'll anoint uh, unto me him whom I will name to you. And this is very common, common way that God deals with prophets and with people that he gives an assignment to. He tells you enough to get you to basically obey, but he never gives you the fine details. 
people who come up with too many fine details I wonder if they really you know sometimes we put that in there and so uh, but sometimes God does if he needs to explain things to people he'll do that but basically God just wants you to obey and get before him and then he will give you all of the other things people have a tendency to judge where they don't need to judge so if God had said, I'm gonna I want you to go anoint David, who? David, he he's just a kid. So in order to keep that yin yin from happening, God just tells you to go. And when you get there, I'll tell you what you're gonna do. And that's that's appropriate. And he says, You take this sacrifice, and he says, I'll show you what you'll do, and you will anoint unto me the one that I name to you. Samuel did which the Lord spoke came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming saying are you coming peaceably now this was the this is the reputation the prophets had because if, if you know if they're doing right they don't have any fear so somebody there ain't doing what they're supposed to do and they know it you know are you coming to judge us you got kind words for us bad words what do you have and he said peaceably I've come to sacrifice unto the Lord and sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. He sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come he looked on Eliab with his natural eyes. Just like God anointed Saul based on his natural attributes. Saul was always the people's choice. People cried for a king. God gave them what they asked for. Somebody they would approve of. And so he, God says this time I get to pick. And so the Lord said to Samuel don't look on his appearance or his countenance or the height of his stature. Because I've refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outer appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. How many times do we get deceived, fooled and convinced that something's not right when it is right because we refuse to look at the heart of things. We refuse to ask God to help us make the decision. We just want to make the decision based on outward appearance. Says then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither have the Lord chosen this. So here the prophet is waiting to hear from God before he blabs something out. See? So prophets need correction too. They need to understand that if God is not speaking to them about something, they can't sanction it and they can't approve it. And so Samuel is is kind of in a condition he just wants to get it over with and go through a quick fast job and God's going to get him to slow down and really listen and, and, and pay attention this time so Jesse called Abinadab and he says no the Lord has not chosen this one Jesse made Shama to pass by he says neither has the Lord chosen this again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse the Lord has not chosen these now there are people who will tell you when they come into a service and see that a prophet has a word for several people or more than one person oh you can't have a word for everybody this is this is proving that you can have a word for everybody in a service 
You don't ever put any limits on the gifts of God. Even when they're working through human vessels, you can have a yes or a no. You can have a, a, a sentence. You can have, and you can have a long prophecy for everybody there. There is no limit to what the Holy Spirit will tell you when you tap into the gifts of God. And so he says, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, well, there's still one kid left. He's the baby over there picking his nose or playing a harp or, you know, we don't count him as much around here. I don't even know if he's got his shoes on, you know, if he's ready to come before the Lord. And he says, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him for we will not sit down until he comes in other words this job is not done now it's interesting the prophet starts out wanting to get this over with this this is the one let's go sit down then he gets into the spirit more and he begins to hear from God a little bit more and more becomes more comes out until he gets to the point where it looks like that's the last kid and he could have said well this is the one since it's the last one if he's looking at appearance but God's got him now looking at the man's heart and so he doesn't see the heart of the person that God wants to anoint and that's why he's still asking more people more people God can flip your understanding around so quickly he can get you so obedient to his spirit and to his will that it will sometimes amaze you where this man was was probably just in the flesh and, and anxious and, and thinking Saul's going to hear about this and let's do a quick fast job and get it over with. God makes him slow down so that he can do the right thing and make the right choice to the point where when they run out of kids he still doesn't think that's the one so he starts asking for more and so this is 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 typical of how God deals with us in helping us to understand his spirit and helping us to understand his ways and helping us to make the right decisions and the right choices you know I've seen people do do this that you know uh, young people sometimes or sometimes you know middle-aged women they'll they you know run to certain churches because there's men in the church and they'll look around and look around and look around and look try to see find somebody that looks like good husband material to them they don't find them there they go to the next place and the next place did ever stop to did you ever stop to think that you would save all this running around if you just asked God to show you that person or reveal that person to you you really don't have to go anywhere you could stay right where you are and God will draw that person to you by his spirit but see people don't trust God so this is all about the prophet trusting God that he's given him the right group of people the right understanding God is correcting the prophet and pulling him back into the right realm where he can hear from God you know it's not over yet Samuel you're mourning for Saul you think your your life's over because you think if Saul gets mad at you you're a dead man and all this kind of stuff wake up you know it's not time to retire it's not time to cash it all in it's time to go forward and so God wants us to go forward with him until the end of our days we don't have to leave out of here in a hearse or you know looking stupid or you know in a, a nursing home somewhere we can walk out of here on all both legs upright 
we're full of faith, full of power, still working for God, still doing our job, and still being productive for God. We don't have to go out backwards like that. And so this is a wake-up call for Samuel as well, that it's time for you, Samuel, to anoint the next one because this kingdom's going to continue. I don't know what you had in your mind was going to happen, but you're going to straighten up. You're going to start hearing from me again. I've never let any of your words fall to the ground, and they're not going to start falling now that you've gotten to be an old man. And so God brings Samuel. He revives him back into his role as his prophet so that he can continue to do his job for God. And so they sent and got this kid in verse 12. He was ruddy and of a beautiful countenance, nice looking kid, goodly to look at. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Everybody sees this now in the family. You got it? So it won't be long before the word gets out. (laughs) And God wants to make it this way. And he says to him, uh, he anoints him in front of his brethren. The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now that means the anointed anointing rested upon him from that day forward. When the anointing first comes upon a person, it comes in the measure that they can receive it. Amen. It usually comes in a seed form of what it will be when it's full grown. We have to be tested under that anointing. Test is to see if you're going to go God's way. See if you're going to make godly decisions. See if you're going to stay with God or if you're going to veer off to the left or to the right. And as we know, David was sorely tested. He was extremely tested to see if he was going to respect the anointing, if he was going to make God his friend, if he was going to stay obedient to God. Nothing tests you like the power of God does because that power is there so that you can carry out your assignment in God. And so there's assignment attached to the anointing. And so that's why it's so important for people to live their lives in such a way that that anointing is protected, preserved, and it's it's allowed to grow. You know, you have to keep obedient to God for that to grow. And so David gets tested time, time, and again because of that. And so Samuel rose up and he went back to his house. And verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So when it begins to rest on one, it begins to lift off the one that's going out. Can't be fully on both of them at the same time. You got me? So that's orderly. Saul begins to diminish in power. It it begins to depart. The anointing or the spirit of God begins to depart from him. And then the enemy sends a spirit that troubled him all the time. He kind of got like what we would call an emotional illness or mental illness. Uh, He was angry, uh, depressed, irritable, jealous, sullen. Hmm? When you step out from under the power of God, you're not just an empty vessel. Something comes and takes its place. In fact, those spirits have been competing with the spirit of God over Saul for quite a while. It starts out with something that the enemy thinks he can get you to compromise in. Got me? It starts out very, very subtle. With Saul, 
he compromised because he feared the people the bible says when god told him to go in if they if they had war at a certain city and god gave them victory instead of Saul obeying god in the way they they disposed of the spoils of war he listened to what the people wanted you know samuel came up and caught him once you know keeping the the sheep that were uh left by the enemy there and god had told him to destroy everything so the, he didn't do it he said i you know the people wanted the people were asking for this so saul really was the people's king God gave him somebody the people would respond to and he responded to them so much so that he just quit doing what God told him to do he was just a people pleaser typical politician and so when when he was when it was discovered that God had had enough of this he wants somebody who's going to obey him God dethrones one and then he lifts up another and so Saul's servant said to him behold now an evil spirit from the Lord is troubling you let the Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon you that he shall play with his hand and you shall be well. So Saul doesn't even know how to remedy his own problem. His servants have to come to him with the answers now. You got it? And so the servants are able to find someone who has the things that Saul lacks. The answer oftentimes to people's problems when they start to diminish in God will be found in the people now who have what they lack. And so God has to raise up somebody not only who can be the next king but also can help this king transition out of his position over into wherever else God has for him you know it would have been nice if Saul could have departed peacefully but he didn't want to do that he just decided or or you know take an illness or something like that and die on a it through an illness but he decides he's going to fight David he's going to fight the anointed of God and so we have this civil war going on in, among God's people and it's true today You'll find people, you know, they'll start uh, conversations and, and want to start discussing, you know, what does your church believe and what does your denomination believe? All this kind of nonsense to keep strife and contention in the house of God instead of letting the anointing increase see the anointing cannot increase in the midst of strife and contention and so when you see that going on you know that an evil spirit has come in and it's trying to destroy and distract people from the power of God and so when 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 God begins to make these transitions he always has a plan he knows who he's going to raise up and he knows who's going to take over and he knows what he's going to do but what he's got to get is servants who will be obedient to his voice and his word and so these servants of Saul's then begin to speak the Lord's word to Saul that there's you you need somebody with these attributes and so they are describing David God in his wisdom has to get David in the palace some way he has to get him acclimated to palace life he has to get him accustomed he's got to get him trained and you and I both know that God isn't scared of anybody he'll take take it right to the enemy if he needs to to confront him with what he used to be confront him what God wants now 
and and because there's always a, an opportunity that Saul might repent and he might get right with God. There have been ones who have done it on their deathbed and God had mercy on them, turn it around. But it appears that Saul is not that kind of guy because he never makes that ju- that transition and and turns around and repents not until the very very end of his life so he he begins to uh uh lose what god has given him and then god has to raise somebody up to uh take over uh, as king but also to minister to Saul he doesn't leave us without help he is very very merciful so instead of allowing Saul just to be tormented for the rest of his days he provides a way for him to get relief from his torment I think that's important to note because even as an enemy of God God has mercy on him think how much more God has mercy on those who are obedient to him you know it's not that hard to get uh healing to get relief to get anything you just have to really stay close to God so God God manages to get David into the palace and so Saul's servants begin to speak up and they speak up David's attributes so then in verse 18 one of the servants said behold I've seen a son of Jesse of the of the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing my a mighty valiant man a man of war prudent in manners a comely person and the Lord is with him now how does he know all of that about David well he knows that by the spirit of God he knows that by the spirit of God and so he begins to speak up David's attributes this wherefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said send me David your son which is with the sheep so this is how God gets David into the palace. He makes the current king dependent upon him for his well-being. Sometimes God raises up the second in command or second leader. They'll they'll make that person somehow fill in something that the leader is missing. Not every leader doesn't have it all. You got me? We always need people around us who have uh, uh, qualities, who have skills, who have attributes, who have things about them that if we we had that within ourselves it would be the total package. You got me? And so these attributes have to be set in uh in the the office so that God can use that because he needs their attributes to complete what he wants to do for those people so it's never it's never a bad thing that you're not perfect in everything it's never a bad thing that you're lacking in certain qualities it's never a bad thing because if it's a necessary quality God will make sure that it comes through through another person so David's resume gets read before Saul He's gifted, brave, wise, prudent, nice looking. You know, he's everything here. And so he's a complete package. And so Saul decides to uh, go through his dad and ask if David can come there. In verse 23, it says, and, and it says also that Saul loved David. David had found favor in Saul's eyes. He loved him as a son at one time. In verse 23, it came to pass when an evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the harp and played with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So David was key in keeping Saul together. Amen. He was key in keeping Saul together. 
it says also that Saul had made David his armor bearer. I don't think he was that at that time. You know, there's some, there's some, um, it looks like some overlap in the writing. You know, somehow writers will think ahead and begin to insert things not at the proper time because it was, it was that the Saul was not, David was not out there at battle with Saul in the next chapter. You see what I'm saying? An armor bearer would have been there. There was another guy in that position and Saul actually was sitting in the palace while the rest of them were out to war on the particular day when he confronted Goliath. And so in verse 17, if you'll turn over there, it says the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. And they pitched between these two places. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set in battle array. So it appears that the valley was the place where the conflict was going to, that was where the fight was going to take place. Everybody, instead of them getting down in the trenches and fighting, they decided instead, so we'll set on this hill, we'll set on that hill, we'll set one person down and send taunts at one another. So nobody wants really to fight this battle. They're, they're at a stalemate and a standoff. That is never the way God wants us to behave as believers. We are always to have the enemy engaged and not engaged in a threatening fashion, but you know, keeping him out of, of places where God doesn't want him to be. You understand what I'm saying? We're to keep him bound. We're to keep him under authority. We're to keep him under control. And we're not to, um, uh, you know, just beat the air kind of thing we're not people who beat the air we're people who are are engaged in a real warfare uh, we're not just saying empty words at the devil and telling him I bind you and, and not expecting anything to happen we're people of action we're people of authority this is a real warfare that we're in and nothing I, I think sickens God more than to see this this false warfare thing you know being given to people and, and people getting involved in 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 these things Paul even was was adamant about it you know he said we're not those kinds of people they were probably false authority people back in his day he said we're not these people who beat the air we're not shadow boxing getting ready for the big event we're in it now and he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities and power so Paul was saying this that we don't see a, a real enemy we don't see a real flesh and blood in, but we are engaged we're not just shadow boxing and saying things but we're engaged in a real battle because when you're in the spirit and you know God's with you you can perceive these things you can see these things you can see them move you can see them quit you can see them give up and so this is what we want to always keep in mind that we are engaged in this type of warfare and we know that we know that we know that we're fighting a real enemy and so David is 
you know, counting his his uh, chasing his donkeys. He's at his his father's house now, and they they describe Goliath as huge, very intimidating, all of those things. And it says <clears throat> he in verse eight he stood and cried to the armies of Israel. Send me somebody. Y'all a bunch of chickens. You don't want to fight me. You you know who you think you are. You just a bunch of worms out there and all this kind of stuff. And at his words in verse 11 it says Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistines. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. So listening to the enemy's words is what the enemy. He wants you to focus on him. He wants you to hear and consider what he says. Abraham, the Bible says, considered not anything in the natural. He didn't believe anything. After a while, he didn't believe anything but what God told him, which is the best place in the world to be. Now, this this really upsets people who like to squirrel around in natural things, people who like trouble, people who like controversy. It bugs them when you don't get upset by what they're upset with. You got me? If you can just look at something and laugh or smile about it because you decided that God said don't don't be bugged by it and you're not bugged by it, it upsets people who are bugged by it. Because the enemy always wants to pull you down in the gutter to fight instead of keeping you in a high place so that you can exercise spiritual authority over the enemy. You don't need to get worked up by what you see. You need to stay peaceful because what you see is never what God wants you to see. He works in the invisible realm. And so Paul said, I know we're not we're not in a flesh and blood battle here, but we're 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 um uh instead we are opting for something much more powerful to come in our lives. Why would you want to fight with people when you can fight the devil and make him leave everybody alone? And you can have peace everywhere you go. And you can have contentment. And you can have prosperity. You can have all of these things because you refuse to engage in a natural warfare. Abraham was that way. He, was, he, he considered not... And it says he got fully persuaded. You know the less you consider natural things the more persuaded you are of God's truth. You can't crowd your mind with both of them. You'll be forever trying to make a decision as to which one you believe. You got to leave one alone in, in favor of the other one. And so hopefully we'll all choose to go the way of the spirit. And so he says if he's, and, uh, a, all, they were greatly afraid, dismayed, greatly afraid, and they served the living God. So when David comes on the scene, you know, he comes in the middle of this and he sees all these Israelites over here scared and hiding and all this kind of stuff. And he's kind of shocked, you know, because he's in the spirit of God. And he thinks, well, you know, everybody knows God can do this. What is the problem here? And so it says, David verse 12 he was uh he had eight sons a man among them was an old man in the days of Saul and the three eldest sons of Jesse followed Saul to the battle but it's interesting David followed his dad got me when your when your family has raised you is to serve God and you get old enough to make decisions you gotta make up your mind you're gonna stay with dad and not go the way of everybody else that's going off to do what they think is right to do now if the leadership 
that you find yourself under doesn't agree with the basics that dad gave you that were solid godly teaching you gotta make your decision to stay with what you've been taught stay with what that foundation they got see this is david's strength he stays with the godly foundation that he's been taught by his godly father in a godly home and he's not all caught up in i'm gonna be the next whatever you know i'm going to be the next deliverer of israel i'm going to be next hot thing around here he's not caught up with wanting to be the next hot thing which we kind of believe the brothers are caught up in because it looks like now saul is baiting his you got soldiers that are already signed up to fight the enemy then you got to sweeten the pot by baiting them with your daughter, free taxes, a nice house, a nice Porsche, nice whatever you want, you know, all that stuff. So he's adding incentive to it, which is never good. You don't have to buy, you shouldn't have to buy your own servants. Huh? You shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to add uh, perk upon perk upon perk blessing upon blessing upon blessing you shouldn't have to continue to add things God really provides enough for people as it is if they'll get close to God and do the right thing and love God sometimes you can take care of people to to their own hurt because they it cripples them they don't want to do anything they don't want to think for themselves they don't want to if somebody's already too lazy to get up and go to a job every day you're not going to help them by taking care of them you got me you know I think it's it's great when jobs are scarce that the government steps in to keep people off the streets but there are a lot of people on the streets because they don't manage well what they have and don't listen to anybody that tries to help them. Amen. You ask some of these homeless people, they've been put out by family members because they don't know how to get along with anybody. There are some people who have had misfortune, but I'm telling you, if those people would get diligent and learn how to manage what they have and cry out to God who is always there to help you, he'll teach them how to come out of that and how to be self-sufficient sufficient and so you don't you don't have to bait people who are already signed up to serve that just just doesn't doesn't really help a whole lot and so he says they were greatly afraid David comes and uh, so these three older boys were there already David was the youngest the three eldest followed Saul but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem so it looks like David had been in the palace ministering to Saul and when the older boys went out to war it might be that he was too young to have been out there with them because somehow he's back at home again now and the, the elder boys are out there at war Jesse said to David his son now I want you to go and take uh um, some food to your brothers uh, because probably they're running out of provision you know right now it's not really a war it's more like camp 
you know, Camp uh, Bethlehem or something like that, you know, where there's, everybody's kind of camped out. And, well, you know, nobody's fighting today. You know, it's been this way for 40 days. And David's dad hears about it. And he said, well, they've been out there an awful long time. They could have killed all the Philistines by now. So why don't you go out there and see what's going on. I'll, I'll give you a way to get in there. I'm sure somebody's going to like you because you got food. And so you just go take them some food and they'll, you know, you'll get in there and bring me back word about what's going on because I'm a little curious myself and so David's uh, Jesse said verse 17 to David his son take for your brethren an ephah parched corn and run to the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and look how the brethren fare and, and take their pledge or whatever you know and just just go see how everybody's doing but I know if you take this food everybody will let you in David rose up early in the morning left the sheep with a keeper very important folks these little details do a lot to explain to you David's character his development his he's not looking for fame in other words if he's careful enough just to do the assignment leave the sheep with a keeper be responsible for what God has given you thus far don't look at this in other words, when God gives you something to do for him, it's never a stepping stone to something greater. You know, people in the world are that way. We got enough people being stepped on because they think what they're doing can be cast aside when something that looks better than them comes along. I was listening to some people. They were uh, at the hotel where we where we have our conferences, one where we stay. And uh, there was a, a family there, and they were they were saying they were here for a family reunion, and you know, it was a, and, and they were church people. They said, yeah, you know, we, we all belong in the same church, and blah, this and that. And they were telling me, they said, well, you know, uh, we had a church, um, and they t- named the name of a prominent minister. It was one of his satellite churches. He said he started a church in our town and he told he put somebody over that church she said in she said we really liked him but he was so young and he didn't know a whole lot and some of the elders in the church questioned some of the things he was teaching she said you know he never could come up with a good answer she said I thought well why would that man of God he knows so much why would he send somebody eventually they disband the church for lack of numbers she said well he kept saying we had to get a certain number more she said we brought everybody in the family she said we thought we really had enough people for them she said but we came like two weeks later and the doors were locked and so this is looking folks this is this is what I mean you're looking at something as a stepping stone to something greater that is never God if he gives you sheep you leave them with somebody competent you don't leave until God tells you to leave if he tells you to leave he's going to raise up somebody competent he's not going to just scatter everybody so that they can't you know these people wanted a church they want, they wanted to be a part of things and they're doing their their part but you can't keep a pledge to them because you got to see a certain something first before you can get involved with it you know that's not God's way it's not God's way not his way at all. And so the job that he gives you is never a stepping stone. 
I always say you better like where you are because you may have to stay there forever. You can't disdain where you are and think you're getting something better from God. There is no better, worst, or or not good in God. It's all good. You got me? And so there's nothing better. That's just in a human mind. There's something more more that they think they're seeking. And so he took and went as Jesse commanded him still under his father's authority. That's the one consistent thing that we see about these people who are God's promoting like this. They stay obedient to the authority that's over them until God moves them. They don't hop from place to place to place. Not being under anybody's authority. Thinking they're hearing from God going from place to place. That's not God's way. And so he says here... He took and went as he commanded him, came to a trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for battle. So here we are again, day 40. We've gotten all the, you know, all the guys that are ready to fight in battle array and we done shouted. Huh? Wonder where we got that from. Religion will cause you to pick up things that have nothing to do with your current situation and try and carry them over into the next situation. See, it worked at Jericho. It's got to work for us. We just do this all the time. We always shout before we go, you know, whether it's something going on or not. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army, came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with him, this Goliath thing comes up. Now this was no accident. God had timed it so that David would get there at the appropriate time so that he could hear what God wanted him to hear. God's timing is so accurate and so real and so important for us to keep in our lives. Had he arrived sooner, later, any other time other than when he came, he would not have been able to put the things in order and hear the things in order. It's important for him to hear first what the enemy says. When you hear first what the enemy says, that evokes the response of God on the inside of you. And that response never goes away till it's carried out. Amen. David did not hear the, the perks and the promises and the blessings of King Saul. In fact, he had to ask people a couple of times to repeat it because he's so ticked off at this, you know, devil standing here. Got everybody all scared and messed up and everything. And that 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 hearing in his ears of the threats of the enemy is what carries him through this. That's his motivation. His motivation is not to have a great anything. His motivation is not to to have the the you know free taxes or anything like that. His motivation really is to vindicate Israel and to rid them of this enemy who is keeping everybody wound up and bound up. And so as he talked with them, this Goliath comes out and spoke according to these same words. And verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw him, fled from him and were very afraid. So David's the only one standing there wondering, what on earth are these people upset about? 
See, when you're not hearing this constantly, you're not tolerating the words of the devil. Let me put it that way. When you make a quick discernment when the enemy starts stepping in and trying to get you to compromise or trying to get you to hear something else or kind of get you to let him stay there and keep taunting you and talking to you, you hear something different, then you're ready to move in action. You got to keep yourself that way. You got to keep yourself ready to judge and discern and cast down these thoughts when they start coming to your ear because they'll get in your heart and start to wear you down. And then the friends of God will be your enemies. You got me? It will turn you against God and against the people who are for God. And so they fled from him. They were very afraid. Verse 25, the men of Israel said, have you seen, <laughs> you seen this? Now they're talking him up. Talking up the enemy to David. Oh, he's come to defy us. And it, you know, but you know what? Uh, whoever kills him now, he's going to get this. He's going to get that. This can never motivate you. To be a good warrior. What you're going to get out of the deal. Can never be your motivation. You've got to fight. Because it's in you to fight. You've got to fight. Because it's the right thing to do. You've got to oppose the enemy. Because he is against what you are for. You've got to see it that way. Because if you're going just for the spoils. You'll never ever be somebody. That God can depend on. We've had a teaching, prosperity teaching, that has caused more people to be derailed. You see people that had a good testimony getting off on drugs, dying off, uh, on drugs again way before their time. Why? Because they little by little they compromise. You know, if they had stayed with the testimony, the devil's my enemy. Any way he comes to me, he's my enemy. They little by little let the devil in. Little by little tolerate something. Because if your flesh is engaged in the promises all the time. You're looking at what you can put in your garage. Or how big a house you can get. Off of the big church you can build. You're always going to be. And pray for the devil. You're always going to be in putty in his hands. So you need to fight. You need to, If you've been delivered. You need to fight for deliverance for everybody that you see. And stay that way. If God's delivered you and, and you've had challenges in your life and you, you need to be willing to fight for other people who are having the same challenges. You can't ever just be in it for what you can get out of it yourself. Well now I paid my dues. I can have an easy life. It's never that way. It's never that way. So David spoke to the men that stood by him and you know they're promising all this stuff. Make your father's house rich. Verse 26. David spoke to them and stood by saying what shall be done? In other words he can't even hear what they're saying by making his plans to kill Goliath. So he has to ask them to repeat it. You know what I didn't really hear what you I wasn't I was my attention was elsewhere. Trust me. And so they tell him again. And and he says, but who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeat all the perks that he can get if he kills him. And David's summation is not, oh, I think I'd like to have that. Let me get busy. He said, but and that's all well and good. But who is this guy here that thinks he can come and push us around we serve the living God we don't serve the devil in his we're not pushovers for this guy who does he think he is talking to us like this and the people answered him after this may so shall it be to the man who kills him so they think they're going to motivate him by promising him stuff verse 28 then the older brother hears all of this 
and then gets mad at David and wants to change his resume. See, when the enemy sees you and knows your strength, now he knows David's anointed the next king. He was thinking that if he goes out and supports Saul, somehow he'll be the one with the property and the daughter and all this kind of stuff. He's upset when David comes up because he's no David's got the goods. He's this little brother of mine. He stays out there. He stinks. He smells like sheep all the time. He stays out there with them animals. But you know he told me something he did the other day and I thought oh my goodness. What's, what is it with this kid? You know he's like the odd little ball in the family. And so David says he, he the brother accuses him of being prideful and and arrogant in his heart and you're up to no good out here who told you you didn't you who would you lead a sheep with you know accusing him wants to change your resume when god opens a door for you and others see your ability they want to change your resume you got me they want to accuse you of not well what kind of christian are you and yeah they always want to rake you over the coals Verse 30, he turned from him toward another and spoke after the same manner. And people kept pumping him up with all the stuff that you're going to get if you kill this guy. But David's still not moved by that. You've got to know people's hearts, folks. He's not moved by that. He's not moved by what I can get if I have this and what I can get if I have that. And he says in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him. David is for the peace of the people. He is for keeping the nation intact. He is doing what he does so that the people can live comfortably and without fear. Because he sees this as a small thing. The less you let the devil sit up and talk to you and convince you that good is evil and evil's good or you can compromise and get away with it or you this doesn't important and he all used to do that when you were you know this but that's not important anymore you got me more you can he can get you to compromise and listen to him the more he can sway your thoughts and sway your actions so david goes in fresh he hears what god wants him to hear first he's not moved by you know what he's going to get out of the deal or what saul has promised him he's not moved by any of that but he is moved by what god is moved by and god wants his people free god wants his people out of oppression he wants people saved he wants people healed he wants people to hear the gospel so david they bring him before saul and god you know david's trying to reassure saul he's speaking up you know he's saying hey you know don't 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 get upset about this you know he you know warriors bring relief encouragement and joy to people they bring what they carry they don't bring these bad tidings and fears and all this kind of, oh and we got to do this and these demons are hard to dislodge and let me get 40 good intercessors up here so we you know we don't need that we need somebody who sees this as a small thing who can come in here and take care of business and so he says David said to Saul in verse 34 he said your servants your servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and you know and I took him and beat him up and they're looking at him like and you know the other brother's probably rolling his eyes oh boy here's a kid again stinky little brother and you you know and he says he says in the way I look at it they defied just some little sheep 
This guy's defying everybody. He's defying the armies of the living God. I mean, you, if, he, if he fought for me on that small arena, think what he's going to do for you when all of this is at stake, when the kingdom's at stake. He says, and this, this guy is just going to be like each and every one of them because it's the same God who's defending the same nation, who's defending little old me, a shepherd in this nation of people, and he's going to defend everybody. Everybody. I'm no different. I'm not special. See, the more you can see yourself as not being special in God's kingdom, the more successful you'll be. It's the special people that wind up getting defeated. And so he says here in Saul, verse 38, Saul armed David with his armor and all this kind of stuff. And David girded his sword about his armor, attempted to go, but he couldn't even move. And so he took it off. And instead of taking the armor, he took five smooth stones out of the brook put him in a shepherd's bag and so the Philistine came on and drew near to David verse 41 the man that bare the shield went before him and when the Philistine looked about he saw David he was upset thought, I thought I told y'all send me somebody big that I can find the devil always looks at people to diminish them in stature any words that come to you that tell you you can't you'll never you who do you think you are that's never God's voice and that's never a good voice to follow you follow the voice of the living God the Philistine said am I a dog that she came out to me with these little weapons and and you know the Philistine was upset because David didn't have armor on you know or something looks like something that looks like he's a threat well, God's people don't have to look like a threat to anybody, but they can do a lot of damage. You understand what I'm saying? We don't have to look like the the deliverance people, or we don't have to pray in tongues until people fall out and all this kind of stuff. We can come in in the name of the Lord and quit with what he has and do the job. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David is saying, this is not about me. It's about the God that I serve. And he's going to use me to defend this whole nation, but he's the one that's doing this. It's not my battle. This is not something that I decided I was going to do to get to be a big deal. I'm just a guy who's obeying God here today. He said this day, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll kill you, take your head off. Leave your body and all the bodies of the Philistines to the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all Israel may know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, the people of God don't even know God. Do you hear me? The people of God don't even know God. We know some religion, we know some tradition, we know some facts, we know some things, but we don't know many of us the living God. And so God does these mighty exploits, he does these mighty feats, he does, does these things out in the public in the midst of people so that everybody who's looking on will know God. They've been following Saul all these years who is a poor leader. Saul has not shown them God's power very much. But now they're going to get a chance to see it. So everybody will know that there is a God in Israel. 
He says, and all this assembly will know that God saves not with a sword and a spear, but for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. I'm looking for God to do this. And it came to pass that when the Philistine arose and drew near to meet David, that David got up and ran toward him to meet him. We should never run from the devil. You always run toward him. You don't wait for him to start messing with you. You lay down the law and tell him he's under arrest. He can't mess with you. And so we have to do things a certain way in order to show that we believe that the battle is the Lord's. It came to pass it when the Philistine arose, came near to David. David hastened to meet him, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and hit the Philistine into the forehead. That stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. But he ain't dead yet. You get me? See, this is where a lot of times Christians make their mistake. They get a little bit of victory, a little bit of headway, and back off and stop. Just because you bound the enemy one time and you got one praise report, that doesn't mean you stop praying. You got me? You continue to pray. You continue to take authority. You continue to do all of these things. So and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and, and hit him and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out and killed him and cut off his head. He finished him off. You got me? This head was not just a trophy, but he killed him totally by cutting his head off. Suppose they had taken him uh, back. You got to have something to show that you've gotten the enemy. You got to have some fruit. You got to have some some evidence. You got to have something to show that you don't fear him anymore. That he's been dismembered, dismantled, torn apart. The yoke destroys it. You can't put it back together anymore. It's annihilated. It's dead. It won't come back anymore. You got me? Suppose he had allowed them to carry him off. And giving his body back to the enemy. Oh, he could say anything. Oh, he didn't kill him. Are you kidding me? Goliath, he's just recovering from his wounds. He's always a threat when he's somewhere alive. If you dismantle him and take him apart and take everything that he's holding, then you know he's dead. You've got to continue your assault against these things because they have a tendency to regroup, come back again, and fight another day. And it says here, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley and wounded them and fell down by the way of even into Gath and to Ekron. The children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and spoiled their tents. So the Philistines do live to fight another day. You got me? Goliath is just the one they sent. But you'll see the Philistines are a continual enemy of the nation of Israel. They continue to regroup and come back. They continue to do what they do. The people there should have chased them not to taking their possessions, but chased them and killed them all. You got me? So that they don't raise up again and they don't come back to fight another day. And so uh, uh, the, uh, um, the Saul finally gets to know totally who David is after this day because they don't let him forget. You got me? So David then becomes a, a thorn in Saul's flesh and a blessing to him. He's both. 
You got me? So when somebody's going out, the person that God has coming in can be a blessing to them, but they're also a threat to them. And this is the way Saul and David kind of wind things up. You know, David's both a blessing and a threat. Gets to the point where David can't be in the palace anymore because Saul is trying to kill him and Saul pursues him uh, for many, many years. But David does prevail uh, because of the anointing of God. But this anointing gets sorely tested. This is just the beginning, folks. Sometimes a victory in God really is just the beginning of your ministry. You know, some people say things like well you know I, I my my uh my uh husband was sick i laid hands on him and god healed him and god did this and they never ever take it up as a ministry they never ever pray for anybody else again they're just but that's just the beginning of what god wants you to do it's not a fluke and david knew this david took his experience with god i fought the lion and the bear and this one will be like the rest see he keeps working with what god gives him instead of just looking at it as a one-time thing and then you go back to your normal life again see this is what good discipline will do for you this is what a good foundation will do for you because you found god now and you find god's powerful and now you want to do things god's way all the time that's the way it's supposed to be it's not supposed to uh, be a one-time thing and it's not supposed to go up and down but it's supposed to be a foundation that we can build on and if we'll see it that way then God will open more doors and more opportunities for us to use his power it's just that way and so as believers we need to keep that in mind we need to keep pursuing opportunities to move in the power of God and to do the things that God wants us to do amen praise God father we thank you for your word and for understanding we thank you lord for faith and life that come in your word and we bless you thank you for your holy word in jesus name amen praise god amen if any